Good morning. I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Well, I am so pleased to have back in our studio, after an absence of a couple of years, a great guest, Mr. Hank Zona, who is the CEO, the founder and CEO of the Grapes Unwrapped, and he is going to share with us what type of wines we should be drinking for this holiday season. Hank, welcome back to the program. Darrell, thank you so much for having me back. As always, it's really good to see you again. You know, the last time, you know, the last time you were here, is, it was a few years ago, and mm-hmm. I've played your program several times, and I've gotten folks to say, wow, when are you going to have Hank back <laughs> on? Because he shared with us so much about wine, uh, because wine can be confusing, and in the sense of understanding the different type of uh, uh, varieties, the prices, mm-hmm. the countries, mm-hmm. the regions, the grapes. So thanks for coming back on the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. So since we last talked, um, you have had a little branding change in, <laughs> in the name of your company. Tell us about that. I have. Uh, you know, when, uh, when we last talked on air, uh, the name of my wine event business was called Swirl Wine Events. And I was about to launch a TV show on local cable called The Grapes Unwrapped. Uh, one of the things I found, though, that there are a lot of other swirls out there. There's a swirl events in the city. There's swirl wine events on other continents, swirl magazines and wine bars. And, uh, and I thought it would be a, a good to really tie the branding together. The Grapes Unwrapped was a nice, catchy name. And, and it worked, and it caught people's attention. And there was no other Grapes Unwrapped out there. So, uh, so I changed the name of my business to the name of the TV show, which I was starting last time I was here. And, and, and tell us about the, the TV show. I, I caught a couple episodes. You actually uh, were bringing in other foods and, and chocolates in, in yeah. to the show, which was very interesting to see how the wine would work with different foods, mm-hmm. and especially chocolates. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, the idea is to feature people who uh, whose businesses tie in to wine uh, in some manner. They could be winemakers themselves or distributors, winemakers, uh, winery owners. They, they could be people in the travel business and, and most certainly in the food business. Uh, I also did a couple of shows on art uh, and how that tied in. And that's one of the things I, I really love about the wine business is it's really easy to find people every day of the week who are also passionate about whatever aspect of the wine industry they're in, but it also ties into other things I'm passionate about, food and travel and art and music, and, and you can kind of keep going on and, and just socializing and being, being with folks. So uh, the TV show really was to feature that. It, it's, it's easy, as it's easy to sit here and talk with you because you're really passionate about what you do and passionate about this show. Right. It's easy to sit and talk to people who share a passion, even if it's not the same exact passion you have, but a passion for what they do. Absolutely. And... Um so what has been happening in the wine business? What, what are some of the emerging trends that you've seen over the last couple of years? People are drinking more. Uh, and, and, I, you know, and I'll explain that. Uh, since we last spoke, the United States has now become the largest consumer in the world of wine. Oh. Uh, not per capita. We're still pretty far down per capita. But no country drinks more wine right now than the United States. And, and that's great because people want to learn more about it. And, and my whole approach uh, to wine education and, and conversation is, is really conversational in style. It, it's, a, it's really um, about having a discussion about it, making it fun, making it easy. Uh, it's not about a snob appeal thing. It's not, not as if you're sitting in a classroom. But, but people want to learn more, but they want to learn it 
in the right manner, and, and I bring it to them in really a, a social manner. And as, a, as we mentioned last time, really it's infotainment when, when you come down to it. So, so people are drinking more, and because they're drinking more, they want to learn more. Right. And are they drinking more of uh, domestic U.S. wine or wines from a particular country? Wh- 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 right. Who's the leading country right now as far as the hot wine is coming from? You know, it's, uh, we're, we're a hot country. We're one of the top producers of wine. Mm-hmm. Italy and France, of course, are, are, mm-hmm. are really the top two. Spain, uh, Argentina. Uh, and, and so this is where a lot of your high-end wine is coming from, also where a lot mm-hmm. of your values are coming from as well. But, mm-hmm. but the real beauty of, of wine is that it's, it's everywhere. Right. It, it's made commercially in all 50 states right now. M- maybe not well-made in all 50 <laughs> states, but it's made commercially in all 50 states. And I just did a tasting recently uh, where, where I had wines from 10 different states. Mm-hmm. And they were all really good wines. The most popular wine that night happened to be one from New Jersey. Really? Yes, yes. Uh, so, n- uh, Northern Jersey? Uh, from Western New Jersey. Western New yeah, Jersey? Yeah, Beneducci Vineyards, which is only about five years old or so. Uh, you know, the wine industry in New Jersey, uh, as an actual industry, is really sort of a baby. It's only been around for about 30 years w- with a few uh, exclusions, some wineries here and there dotted that have been around longer. If I remember correctly, I'm from South Jersey. Yeah. Um, there was a winery that we used to drive by all the time going to Philadelphia uh, in South Jersey. It starts with an R, Ryan Walt? Uh, Renault. Renault, Renault, yes. Renault's been around for a long time. That's one of the old, oldest wineries in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of uh, wineries down in the coastal plain area, as they call it, in the, um, uh, in the Hamilton area, down in the Pine Barrens area, you know, where there's an awful lot of produce uh, right. being grown in general, cranberries, blueberries, you know, so on and so forth. You know, so it's... Uh, what is the secret to, to winemaking? I always thought that you had to have a, a consistent good climate, you know, some rain, some sun, good soil. I mean, because when I, when I hear about wines being made, you were telling me about some wines last time that were coming from upstate New York that were very good. Absolutely. I brought one today. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, secret is, the secret is good weather, I, I would say, and, and a good touch. You know, technology makes it really difficult mm-hmm. today to make bad wine. It's pretty easy to make good wine. It's not as easy to make great wine, and it's kind of tough to make bad wine. There are places out there that really are commercial ventures that just want to mass-produce wine and, and sell it. That's fine, but, but, but again, it's not that tough to make good wine these days. Uh, the Northeast is interesting because we're really beholden. Winemakers here are, are beholden to the weather. There are other regions where the wine is, inc- excuse me, the weather is incredibly consistent season after season. Uh, Chile is a really good example of that. That's where we get most of our fruit in the winter because their, their growing season is very predictable and, and their, their land is cheap and they're able to mass produce, this, uh, mass produce the grapes and, and other produce and, and get it to us. And it's, it's good. It's very good. It's, it's, it's trickier, though, to make great wine. And, and you know, wine is a, uh, it's a living thing. It's an agricultural product, too. And you can take many different approaches to, to making it. You can make it on a, on a food-processed, mass-produced basis, or you can make it on an artisanal, small-batch basis, and just, just like any other food or beverage product. Wonderful. And, of course, the last time we talked, um, we were going through or co- just coming out of, of a recession. Right. And, um, you know, the business, corporate business mm-hmm. uh, wasn't as, as uh, prevalent as it was before because of the economy. Right. Um, but you've seen growth in your business from corporations doing uh, I, the wine I, tastings. and I, I have seen growth in, uh, in, in corporate business. 
not a lot of growth probably on the on the client event side. I think some companies are still kind of wary. Even if companies are successful, no one wants to go out there and really kind of throw around that they're they're doing well. I think uh, a lot of relationship businesses. I've had a lot of growth. For example, financial advisors, as an example, who want to really differentiate themselves. Uh, they, they find that that socializing. Uh, with wine really helps them. And, and the better ones I have found really personalize the event. They, they don't treat it as a business event. They're not there selling product. They, they really are bringing me in really as the speaker, as the entertainment. Uh, having a business background, I'm able to speak in business terms, uh, you know, keep, keep people remembering why they're there. But at the same time, it, it is not a business or a sales event. And I think those are the ones that work. It really shows that they're willing to go in a little bit extra uh, for, the, for their clients and their prospective clients. I've done some in-house corporate events, too. I've developed some uh, wine-themed team building products and talks. Now, uh, that's, a, that's a seminar I want to go to. Yeah. That, that's a, that's, that's, you know, and, and the funny thing is, as you know, the, the, the whole um, aspect of team building is really quite a range between something that is a very social event that a company may refer to as team building so they can get it in on the budget <laughs> right on up to something that really is designed to, to help bring people together and to do real team building and, and anything on in between. Uh, I've also done talks to a number of groups on why wine is important as a business tool. Uh, I just did a talk a couple months ago at a hedge fund. They, they do lunchtime talks on all different topics for their for, for their employees, and they usually get about 25, 30 people uh, at these events. And uh, when I was coming in to talk about wine as a business tool, there were 75 people crammed into the conference room at lunch. And it was a fun talk. It was a good talk, but people were really interested in the topic. You know, it speaks to etiquette, etiquette in business. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember Andy Giovine, who was my first mentor at, at Xerox, she took us out to, a, to, to lunch to show us how to conduct a mm -hmm. business lunch. Mm -hmm. And at the time, now this is 1981, and she says, if you are entertaining a client, um, if they have a glass of wine, you have a glass mm -hmm. of wine. But yeah. if they don't order wine, you don't order wine. And that's, and that's, and that's, right. that's like real, real old school. But I find that today that those types of lessons are not taught anymore. They're not taught, and it was very interesting. There was one financial advisory group where the owner asked me to come in and do a dinner for his staff and really speak at a dinner. He had them at a restaurant, and we sat down, a lot of 20-somethings on staff, and he said, I want them to know about this because we, I expect them to go out and, and have a lot of dinners with clients, and we do a lot of events, group events, where, where wine is a focal point, he said, and I want them to be comfortable. So we sat down, and, and it was interesting because one of the people on staff said, I really don't like wine that much. And I said, that's okay. It's not about liking it. It's just knowing enough that you're comfortable with it because when you sit down with somebody, you don't want to be nervous or anxious or fumbling and, and wasting time uh, trying to decide what wine might be best because you will look at a wine list, and it'll look, it appear as if it's a blank sheet of paper if you know nothing at all about it. Uh, and, and I said, but here's why it's important to know about wine. Wine follows money and education, and money and education follow wine. That doesn't mean that if someone is educated and successful in business that they know a lot about wine or they have massive, impressive collections. It just means they're more likely to be drinking it and enjoying it. So it goes to follow that having a little bit of knowledge really will help you. Uh, and I'll give you a good story. I was, I was in the executive search field. 
for years before I started in the wine business. And I had this interest in wine from back before my, my 20s, really even before college. And I had access to senior people and companies because I had this interest in wine. I was able to sit down at lunches and, and uh, meetings with senior officers and companies who were twice my age who wouldn't have given me access but I had this interest, and they knew they could sit and talk to me about this interest and actually learn from me. So it really opened doors for me uh, to, to have that kind of knowledge, and it was a lot less time invested than being out on the golf course all day. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm just sitting here wondering, with all of this, this wealth of information that you have, where is the book? When is it coming? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, have, I, have a, I have several friends who are publishers, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I, would I would love to uh, talk with them. You know, I, I like to write. I like to, uh, you know, you've read some of the, the little brief pieces I might put up on social media, which has been a fantastic way to get information out, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or, or Twitter. Uh, and, you know, my business is an interesting one because it really is personal and professional. So all those various forms of social media, I sort of fit right into the middle of all those, and I've been able to use all those successfully for smaller bursts. Uh, I do like to write a blog. I've done some magazine writing. I, I, would, I would love to put it together. You know, one of the things I find about wine is that wine is personal. Wine is social. Wine is connective. And I've been able to translate some of those, uh, some of those thoughts, uh, not just in when I speak with a group or do an event, but also in writing. So it's, uh, it, it's nice to be able to do that. It's a nice exercise for me, too. You know, I, I just find that wine is one of those areas that you can find a common ground with someone. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And like you said, even if the person doesn't drink, right. they're doing business or involved in some type of way with someone right. who right. does. Right. And having that knowledge to be able to talk about the different type of, mm -hmm. am I saying the word right, uh, varietals? Yeah, that's absolutely, varietals. yeah. Um, being able to understand the different wines from a d where the, the different regions. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that information goes a long way. Well, it's all about comfort level. And, and again, you're sitting down with somebody. If, if it's a business interaction, you want to be comfortable. And, and the, probably the best part about a business interaction is when it becomes personal and, and where you do have that level of comfort. And uh, so you can dispense with the formality. And first of all, wine is a social lubricant. This does make people a little more comfortable, but it, but it is something that people have in common. Uh, you know, again, to go back to that point where I said wine is personal, Everyone has a wine story. They, they may have a beer story, too, but that probably is college-related, and they don't really want that, to <laughs> want that out. But everyone has a wine story. I, I, you know, I posted something on Facebook once, tell me a wine story. That was all I posted, and I had dozens and dozens of responses. This is the wine I had the night I was engaged. This is what we had on our honeymoon. But it starts to get poignant. Right. This is the wine that we shared you know, after my father's funeral. This is the mm -hmm. first wine I had once I found out I was cancer-free. Uh, you know, these are oh, personal, it's all, but it's all personal, very personal. personal very yeah. personal, powerful stories. Yeah. So for the holiday season, um, what type of wines would you recommend to our listeners that, that they should explore? You know, people, <clears throat> people associate the holiday season, especially New Year's, uh, and nice dinners with sparkling wine. And, and I tell people, absolutely, sparkling wines are probably my favorite class of, of wine type. Um, but here's the thing. 
you don't need them just for the holiday. I, I, I espouse drinking sparkling wine year-round. I, I think sparkling wines are incredibly versatile. They go with the widest range of food. They are fun. They are festive. But, but they're also just good to drink at any time. And you can find a different style sparkling wine for just about any time of the year, for any type of meal. And, and also, it's, uh, they, they just pair incredibly well with, with what you're having. And, and so sparkling wines are a great category. I've done primers just on sparkling wines where I walk people through the whole style uh, from, from lighter to, to heavier. An interesting thing about sparkling wine, Prosecco now outsells champagne in, in total volume. Uh, champagne only makes up about 10% of the sparkling wine made in the world. Prosecco has come in and is, is actually easy to drink. It's usually lighter in, in fizz. Now, help me out. Yeah. Prosecco. Okay. I've not yeah. heard that phrase before. Okay. Prosecco is a sparkling wine mm-hmm. made in the Veneto region in, in Italy. And, uh, and it tends to be a little uh, less full-bodied, in fact, a lot less full-bodied, lighter-bodied. It's referred to as extra dry, which in, in sparkling wine parlance means that it's got a touch of sweetness to it, as opposed to brut, which is the dry uh, champagne style. A lot of champagnes are medium to full-bodied wines. They're, they're big wines, and they, they go with some pretty heavy meals. And I think that that was the baseline for a lot of people. When they had a sparkling wine, it was a champagne. Now the baseline for so many people is Prosecco, which is lighter, lower fizz, known as frizzante in style in Italy. And, uh, and that's what people now have as their baseline. So when I do these primers on sparkling wine, when I work up to the fuller body champagne, they're almost too big for people today because their baseline today now is a lighter, oh. spritzier Prosecco. So uh, I like Proseccos a lot. Like anything, there's some well-made ones and some not-so-well-made ones. They are lighter, though, so I find when you get into this time of year, our holiday meals tend to be a little bit bigger, heavier, longer, you know, dragged out, if you will, and those lighter ones do tend to disappear. Oh. Uh, but if people don't want to spring for the extra money for a champagne, and I don't blame them because, you, you know, you're starting probably at about $35, $40 for, for an entry-level champagne that, that's worth it, uh, you can find great values domestically. Uh, some of the best sparkling wine right now in the country that, that gets uh, recognized annually for one of the best values is Gruet, which is a French champagne family that came to this country over 30 years ago and settled in New Mexico. The wine is made in New Mexico and, and uh, great valued wines, and they make it in a champagne style, but for a fraction of the price. Uh, there's some great values in Cava's, and Cava is sparkling wine from Spain, and, and again, a fraction of the price, using local Spanish grapes, making the wine in the champagne method again. Uh, but really, you can go to a lot of different countries, a lot of different regions, and find some really good and interesting sparkling wines. It doesn't have to be champagne. Or wow. it can be a champagne if you want it to be, too. Those are fabulous. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are here with Mr. Hank Sona, the founder and CEO of The Grapes Unwrapped, and he is sharing with us his excellent insights on wine. Now, when we, when we think about uh, white, red, um, historically people have said, okay, if you're, if you're having uh, meat, uh, like a steak, mm-hmm. you're going to have red. Mm-hmm. If you're having fish mm-hmm. or chicken, you have white. Is that right. still true today, or is it drink what you like? Uh, I'm of a couple of schools of thought there, and I'll explain why. First, I tell people, drink what you like, and, you know, and that sort of ties into the whole holiday thing. Mm-hmm. I tell people, it's a holiday. You're with family and friends, and as we reach a certain age, maybe the last holiday you have, and you see some of these folks. So unless you're in a room 
full of like-minded wine people. There's no reason to start waving around your wine knowledge and trying to impress people and and trying to play uh, you know the whole uh, the whole wine snob game. It it, it doesn't fly. It, it's a holiday. It's a family event. And you have to be mindful of that. Again, unless everyone at that table is of that same mindset. Um, so so I tell people drink what you want. You know if if Aunt Edna likes to have uh, you know a Gallo jug wine and that's her favorite. Well, you know what? Give it to Aunt Edna because she deserves it. She she's she's one of the matriarchs in the family. Take care of her, right? You know, so uh, you know if you really want to pull out the wine geek talk, well, that's great with a bunch of friends who want to do that at a different meal. The reason why <laughs> I, I crack it up is that we have a couple family friends. Uh, my sister Elaine and uh, my sister Libby's friend Monty. Uh, Monty refers to white Zinfandel as white Zin. Oh yeah, yeah. And well. She goes, "Where's the white Zin?" And we just. <laughs> fall out. <laughs> so we always have the white Zed for, right. for Aunt Monty. And, and, and that's fine because she likes it and, and you know, it makes her happy and you're all together and really that, that's the focus of a holiday right. meal. But to answer your question about red with meat and white with fish, uh, I, I don't pair necessarily based on the, the color of the wine with, with the food, but the, the mouthfeel and the weightiness of it. So, so wines are light-bodied, medium-bodied, full-bodied, uh, whether they're red or white or sparkling, and I try to pair with the weight of the food itself. Salmon is a full-bodied fish. It, it's, it's a fattier, uh, meatier fish, if you will. So it's appropriate to have a red wine with that. I don't think, I don't think a huge red wine like, uh, like a big California Cabernet would work, but most certainly a Pinot Noir or Grenache might go with that too. Um, one of the James Bond movies years ago, it was, uh, and, and I want to tell the story because I, I think it kind of makes sense. Um, when Robert Shaw was the bad guy, he had blonde hair, and it was Sean Connery. I, I can't remember which, which movie it was exactly, but they're on a train in, in the dining car, and Robert Shaw orders um, or Dover Soul and asks, What would you like to drink with it? And he says, I'll have a claret. And of course, the claret is a red Bordeaux blend. So a couple scenes later, of course, Robert Shaw has James at gunpoint. And what does James say to him? But I should have known you were bad when you ordered the claret with the dough for soul. So, uh, <laughs> I remember that. Saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, um, is it bad? Well, she, what's going to happen is that big red wine is going to overwhelm the delicate fish. But at the end of the, you still have a nice piece of fish and a nice glass of wine. Uh, you, you know, the whole idea of pairing. Um, isn't, isn't a science or an art or anything. It's, for me, it's just kind of fun, and you want to maximize. You want to maximize the most out of that food you're having and the, and the wine that you're having. But ultimately, it's about maximizing the social event of the people that you're sitting with, unless, of course, it's a bad guy who's going to hold you at gunpoint two scenes later. Recently, <laughs> I, uh, for one of my clients from the U.K., I hosted and moderated a uh, thought leader dinner. And um, a couple weeks before, I went to the hotel to, to mm -hmm. do the pairing. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it was. It was. It, first of all, it, it was. It was great tasting. Yeah. Uh, but I, I had their, uh, their 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 person there to to really help me. Right. Right. And the guests, they just absolutely right love what we we served that evening and, and the wine. So. And and that's a good business tip. That's what I tell people when they ask me. You know, what wine should I order? I, I got a text one Saturday night from a from a client, and it was I'm in per se. Uh, what should I order? And I said, I'm out at dinner too. Asked a sommelier is what I texted back. But later on, when he did have a business dinner at Per Se one night, he knew better to call me the day before. And I said, fine, let's pull up the wine list online and let's look at what you think you want to spend, what you think you might want to drink, and I'll give you some ideas. 
But it's also not a bad idea to call ahead to the restaurant, speak to the sommelier or, or the wine steward or the beverage manager. This is what they do. This is what they get paid for. And they're happy to sit there and help you with it. And again, you can maintain that comfort level of, of that business meal or, or, or even if it's a social uh, event too, uh, instead of having to, to fuss over it and, and sort of sit there fretting over what you're going to buy. You know, and, and, and I think that speaks volumes in regards to, you know, going out to dinner, it's not inexpensive. No. And folks, you know, some folks don't get opportunity to do it all the time. So right. you want it to be special. Mm-hmm. So investing that extra time right. to, to know what, what's on the menu. Right. And, uh, again, you know, what's the budget? Yeah. <laughs> it helps you to truly maximize that. And, you know, and that's the beauty of the Internet because a lot of, the, a lot of information out there is accessible you know, before, you know, maybe before you took a trip, you'd run out and buy Foders and Fromers and all the other books. Now you can look it up online. Well, same thing with, with wine. You know, it's, it's easy to go out and dig up information. Not all the information is out there where you have to know where to find it. And I, I think that's where somebody like me comes in oh, handy. Oh, I, I can see it now. Askhank.com. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I get the text during dinner. So. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So um, how can folks get in touch with you? Um, website? Yeah. Um, my, my business is The Grapes Unwrapped. My website is The Grapes Unwrapped. I am on, uh, you can find me under Hank Zona at LinkedIn. Uh, on Facebook, I'm Hank Zona. There's also a great, The Grapes Unwrapped page there. You will find me on Twitter. You will find me uh, on, ya- excuse me, on uh on YouTube, where, where you'll find some uh, episodes of The Grapes Unwrapped. You'll even find a show, um, excuse me, a, a tape of me doing an interview on Italian TV when I was a wine judge uh, a couple years ago in Tuscany. Uh, and, and as one of my Italian friends says, you know you've made it when you are on Italian TV with Italian subtitles, uh, because I don't speak a, a really a lick of Italian. <laughs> so, uh, But also, Hank, I, I really want to uh, commend you and thank you also for your public service. You also are are, uh, chairman of the Cougars. The Cougar Boosters at Columbia High School, yeah. And the Cougar Boosters have done a phenomenal job over the last few years due to your leadership in funding not only the traditional things, but also theater and other programs. Right. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, Cougar Boosters have been around for longer than I've been in the community, which is close to 25 years now. And uh, I I am of this belief, uh, first of all, you and I, we met because of uh, youth services, if you will. We met, we met because we were both involved in the, in the Maple South Orange Softball League and uh, program, which is still going on and even stronger now more than ever before. But, but I, I believe that it's important to take care of, of the kids in your community. And I also firmly believe that a strong high school makes for a strong community it's an important integral part of a strong community and and what helps to make a strong high school most certainly are academics but what you what you offer extracurricularly to to kids and and the nice thing about our community is there's such a range out there available to them and a nice and, and people assume that booster clubs are, are really there to raw raw sports but we give more money every year to non-sports activities and organizations at the high school than to than to the athletic groups 
And the, I guess the big event is the golf. Uh, we, we do a big mm-hmm. golf outing. This year it's going to be on May 4th at Maplewood Country Club. Uh, last year we raised almost $25,000, which is most we've ever done. We had over 110 golfers. We get the kids from the high school to come, too. The, the uh, unaccompanied minors, the acapella group, comes and sings, and, and the people there love it. The robotics club comes, and we, they, they actually built a putting robot that people can kind of go up against and, and try their hand at. So, so I want people to see what these kids are doing as well and, and show them uh, the range of, of uh, really what, what they're capable of doing, what they're involved in, what their acumen is in. And, uh, and people are really responsive to that. They're not just showing up to golf. I want them to know what they're supporting. That's excellent. That yeah. is excellent. Well, we are out of time, but yeah. if there's one last thought you'd like to leave our audience in regards to the holiday season and the spirits of the season. <laughs> Remember why you're together with the folks you're together with. You know, again, it's always great to eat well and to drink well, but it's really about being well and 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 being together with folks. You know, to me, uh, you know, the wine is on the table. It's a part of uh, of that social gathering. It's uh, it's part of that social fabric, but it is not the reason that you're there. But at the same time, enjoy what you like and enjoy the people you're with. Oh, Hank. Thanks again so much. Thank you, Darrell. It's always a pleasure to see you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's it for this week. Uh, we are here with Mr. Hank Zona, the founder and CEO of The Grapes Unwrapped, and you can find him at thegrapesunwrapped.com. And please do reach out to him because he's so knowledgeable. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.